Welcome to the podcast of the preaching ministry of LifePoint Church, led by Pastor Lane Harrison. We pray this ministry is a blessing for your life. For more information about LifePoint, please visit lifepointozark.com. For more information and resources from Pastor Lane, please visit mlaneharrison.com. Thank you, LifePoint. Um, it's always a joy and a privilege to, uh, to open God's Word with you. Um, it's something I'm greatly thankful for. Um, and so uh, just let's go, go right to it. So um, as you, um, as I kind of intro a little bit, uh, I want to invite you to go ahead and turn to 2 Samuel chapter 9. Uh, 2 Samuel chapter 9 is going to be where we're going to be this morning. Um, if you don't have a copy of God's Word, or maybe you're uh, a little unfamiliar with it, or just kind of getting, getting uh, acclimated to it, um, there are some uh, black pew Bibles in the, uh, in the slots uh, in front of you, and uh, we will be on page 260 in those Bibles if you want to go ahead and follow along, um, and I'd encourage you to do that. Um, so like uh, we've just alluded to, uh, uh, we've just observed the Thanksgiving holiday. And if you're like me, that means you've probably met your quota for mac and cheese and turkey uh, for the year. Um, but you, I'm just kidding, you can never really reach your quota, especially for mac and cheese. Although, um, we went to go pick our 10-pound turkey up the other day, and the guy at the truck said, uh, we have 17, 18, and 19 pounds. Which one do you want? So uh, we've got a lot of turkey left uh, in our quota, apparently. Uh, but... Uh, hopefully you've had a good holiday, and um, one of the things that's so great about uh, the Thanksgiving holiday is that you get to gather around a table, a time that is, uh, I know for us, uh, far uh, too, too little, uh, the time to be able to gather around the table. Uh, so hopefully you were able to gather around the table with company you enjoyed, uh, or at least you were able to tolerate the company that you had that you may not have. Um, so the thing about Thanksgiving is it offers a lot to us and for us, but uh, one of the great blessings of it is this ability to be able to join together around a table. There's something about sharing a meal and sharing a table, right? Um, there's something uh, that builds community. There's a, there's a connection that happens over uh, the table. Uh, and so historically, being invited to a meal actually was a place of high honor. Uh, one New Testament scholar writes, he says, it would be difficult to overestimate the importance of table fellowship for the cultures of the Mediterranean basin in the first century of our era. Meal times were far more than occasions for individuals just to consume nourishment. As great as that is. Uh, being welcomed at a table for the purpose of eating food with another person had become a ceremony richly symbolic of friendship, intimacy, and unity. Thus, betrayal or unfaithfulness toward anyone with whom one had shared the table was viewed as particularly reprehensible. But, on the other hand, when persons were estranged... A meal invitation opened the way to reconciliation. And so as we look at this text this morning, I hope that uh, as you see this, it, that it foreshadows for us because it foresees the gospel hope that it is meant to be our own in Christ. Uh, this idea of a way of reconciliation that ultimately brings a continual and abiding uh, 
life and presence with the one that we are able to share with. And so, 2 Samuel chapter 9, the text we're going to be in uh, here in just a minute, is a story of a man who had the high honor of actually sitting at the, the table of none other than the king himself. And it's a story that I believe, as, as I've alluded to, foresees the hope of the gospel, which is an unending communion with the king. And so this morning, I want to give you this as the main focal point of today's message as we look at our place at the table in the gospel. Uh, and that is that Jesus is the king of promise and dispeller of our shame who welcomes us to life with him forever. And so Jesus is the king of promise and dispeller of our shame who welcomes us to life with him forever. In other words, Jesus is calling us to come to him and to stay or to abide with him. Uh, but before we get there, I want to, and before we get into this text, let me give you a little bit of a background, if you will. Um, king David, undoubtedly you've probably heard of King David, but he was the greatest king in the history of Israel. Um, he um, followed King Saul, so he came after King Saul, who uh, was a, a really tall guy, but obviously a, apparently a really prideful guy as well. Um, he didn't follow the Lord, and uh, in his disobedience through his own pride, the Lord promised to cut off his reign, and eventually uh, promised that he, he would cut off his entire household. Uh, and this would be given to his servant David. So he didn't like David, uh, for, some, for some of us, for good reason, right? He knew that David would be the king uh, who would take his place. And so um, during this whole process, uh, Saul also had a son named Jonathan, who was about da uh, David's age, uh, who became friends with him, so much so uh, that Jonathan actually helps David escape from Saul in one of his tangents. You know, he had a bout of anger, tended to throw things, that kind of thing. Uh, so one of, when Saul is actually seeking David's life, Jonathan helps him escape. And during that, that, that event, they make a covenant together. And a covenant is simply a binding promise before God. When you enter into a covenant, you're making a promise with someone, but you're also making a binding agreement that you're bringing God into the mix as well. And so they make a covenant together, and this is the substance of the covenant that they had together, that David would show unwavering love to Jonathan's house forever once the Lord made good on his promise, which would be, he would take the kingdom from Saul and give it to David. And so, not long after this, the Lord fulfills that promise. Saul and Jonathan are actually killed in battle uh, by the, the arch enemies of Israel, the Philistines. Uh, and David is made king. Now, a little while into his reign, he learns uh, that David has... His old friend Jonathan, rather, has a son. His name is Mephibosheth. And he's the main character that, I want, that we will look at this morning. Uh, and so I want to give you a little bit of background on him. Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, 
grandson of Saul, uh, he was crippled in both feet due to an injury he had when he was five years old. We learned this in 2 Samuel, a, little, a, few, a few chapters before, we're, the one we're going to read here in a second. Um, and he became crippled uh, when his nurse, his caretaker, uh, what, what have you, uh, learned of the death of, his, of Saul and Jonathan, his grandfather and his father. And so she runs to grab him up in retreat, and as they're running, he falls and somehow becomes crippled. And so now, the last remaining of Jonathan's house uh, is crippled Mephibosheth. And David seeks him out to make good on his promise of his covenant. And so enter 2 Samuel 9, 1 through 13, which is where we're going to be at right now. So let's read the word of the Lord together in 2 Samuel 9 picks up after this, okay? And verse 1 says this, And David said, Is there still anyone left of the house of Saul, that I may show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of the house of Saul, whose name was Ziba. And they called him to David, and the king said to him, Are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. And the king said, Is there not still someone of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him. And Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in his feet. And the king said to him, Well, where is he? And Ziba said to the king, He is in the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, at Lodabar. Then king David sent and brought him from the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, at Lodabar. And Mephibosheth the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and paid homage. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, Behold, I am your servant. And David said to him, Do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan, and I will restore to you all the land of Saul your father. and You shall eat at my table always." He paid homage and said, What is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I? Then the king called Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, All that belongs to Saul and to all his house I've given to your master's grandson. And you and your sons and your servants shall till the land for him and shall bring in the produce that your master's grandson may have bread to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, shall always eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then Ziba said to the king, According to all that my lord the king commands his servants, so will your servant do. So Mephibosheth ate at the king's table like one of the king's sons. And Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Mekah, and all who lived in Ziba's house became Mephibosheth's servants. So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem, for he ate always at the king's table. Now he was lame in both of his feet. Now I want to point out to us as we kind of unpack this narrative together, four things that I think point us to our ultimate gospel hope in abiding in Jesus and what he's called us to as our place at the table 
in this text. And so the first one I want you to notice in verses 1 through 4 is that the king sought him out to show him kindness. Mephibosheth is, as the recipient of the king's kindness, does nothing to prompt it, right? We see no recollection of his character or um, any description about him other than he is the son of Jonathan and he's crippled. He has nothing to merit the king's kindness. It simply is that David is a promise-keeping king. And so after a number of years, um, it's been a number of years uh, since, uh, since David became king and this full realization of this promise. Um, uh, Mephibosheth was likely five years old um, when David became king, uh, which was when he had this fall. Um, but by this point, he's old enough to have a son of his own. And so although some time has passed, David is still seeking to make right of his promise. He will show kindness to his friend Jonathan and his household. And so he seeks him out. And this is no ordinary kindness. As a matter of fact, David attributes it in verse 3 to the kindness of God himself. A natural enemy of the king who not only is being shown kindness by the king but is being shown the kindness of God himself. And so this is beyond David, as great as he was, the very kindness of God. And so first and foremost, he seeks him out. He seeks him out to find him. He knows nothing of him, as a matter of fact. And so he asks if there even someone exists of the household of Jonathan. And, and this is when he's, he's brought to his attention. And so here we see Mephibosheth, again... Is, brings nothing to this, to this to prompt this kindness. Secondly, uh, the king brings him in and restores him. So David asks, uh, where is he? In verses 5 through 9, we see this. Where is Mephibosheth? And so he finds that he's settled in a, a town called Lodabar. Now, the scriptures, any reference in the scriptures to a place or a name or a household, usually not only is there for historical references, but oftentimes is there uh, that has a certain meaning there for us to understand. And so here in this particular passage, what we find out is that the low Debar is actually an area that was allotted for those who were of the tribe of Gad. So you had 12 tribes of Israel. Each one had their apportioned inheritances in the land. And this particular area that Mephibosheth was living was in the tribe of Gad. And the reason that's important is Mephibosheth was from the tribe of Benjamin. And so here we have a man who is not only crippled, which would have in and of itself been a position of shame. Uh, it would have limited his participation among God's people and among uh, those uh, in his own nation. But he here is living outside of his inheritance. He's living with someone else in their inheritance. So we have a man who is physically in a position of shame in and of himself. He is a descendant of Saul who was the cursed failed former king who would have been seen as the enemy of David in many ways, now living outside the land of his inheritance. 
And so you have a man of cursed uh, lineage, of cursed legacy, and a position of his own, what would have been seen as a cursed and shamed position as well. And so being summoned by the king perhaps would have been a fearful thing for, uh, for anyone, but especially for Mephibosheth. And we see this here in his response. Um, David says, do not fear, for I'm, I brought you here to show kindness. And so Mephibosheth being the natural enemy of David and being in such a position of shame undoubtedly must have been fearful of this invitation. But here's what the king had in mind. He had made a promise that he would see through. And through his kindness, what does he do? He restores the inheritance of Saul to Mephibosheth, the grandson. He would see his promise to Jonathan through. Through his kindness, he restores all that was owned by his family heritage to him once again. He has more than he needs. As a matter of fact, servants provide all that he needs, all of his produce, all of his bread, that he may eat anything he's, he's set, right? And anything that he may need. But it's not just this sort of kindness that he welcomes. He also welcomes him to much more. And that we see in verses 10 through 13. The king not only seeks him out, restores him, but he welcomes him to his table. Not only had the king restored his honor, but he now gives him a status of royalty. A status of royalty. He will sit at the king's table always, he says. And as verse 11 tells us, he eats there like one of the king's sons himself. And so not only had been what was lost been restored, but he enters into a household of the king himself. Not as just a guest, but as one of his own sons. And those who live in the household of the king are often not in want, right? And so this is the position, this is the grace that Mephibosheth's been called to. And yet, as great as one occasion of such honor would be, being able to just join the king with a single meal, this is not, this is not just one event that he is inviting him to partake in. It is a continual and ever-abiding grace and favor. He says, it lays throughout this narrative, we see again and again and again, he shall be there always. He shall eat at my table always. He will dwell here always. And so as high of an honor as one meal would have been with the king, much more is offered here. It's a present, constant, ever-abiding favor with the king. This is no momentary, singular uh, act of favor, but it is, it is a position that is received uh, to not just return to life as normal. Like you, you would go in and, and experience this favor, then leave to again assume the normal routine of life. A momentary kind of favor, but this is an ever-abiding position of favor with the king. He would eat with the king always. He would join him at his table always. 
And so now we have Mephibosheth not exiled to another outside of his land, but now having his inheritance. Yet now not only does he get a restored inheritance in, in the, the, his tribe, but he gets to dwell in the house of the king. He's living in Jerusalem, man. And so he goes from a shameful position to an exalted position with the king. And so eating at the table is always a place of communion, as we've seen. And so David here has graced and called Mephibosheth to nothing less than an abiding intimate relationship with the king. And so as great as this is, as a story, it is also our story. Because as Jesus has made known to us that all, all of the scriptures are ultimately pointing to him. That every character of redemption in the scriptures are ultimately foreshadowing his ultimate redemption. And so, as powerful a story as this is, it is still one that is our own. The invitation is still here. And so, Jesus is the king of promise and dispeller of our shame. And so, the scriptures tell us that David foreshadows for us another king. And this king would come from his lineage, and his name would be Jesus And this king would come and seek to save that which was lost. He would restore the broken and the lame. And he would, in taking sin and shame upon himself, do away with sin and shame. And being the very Son of God, he would give to those who would believe in him the right to be children of God, as John tells us. To be with him forever and to have an inheritance with the saints, and eventually, yes, to sit with him at his table. This is the hope of the gospel. Think about that for a second, Christian. That your ultimate hope, you've joined with all those people that you maybe you don't like or you do like, you've had to sit across from them this week, that the hope of the gospel ends with you and I sitting across table from the king of the universe. That is the legitimate hope of the gospel for the Christian. We will see the Savior. And we will join Him at His table forever. And so, the Savior who came eating and drinking invites you and I to believe, to come to Him, to abide in Him, to yield all of ourselves, to be ruled, taught, led by Him. And this is the promise He gives in Luke 22, 29 through 30. He says this to His disciples, all who would come to Him and believe. He says, I assign to you, as my Father assigns to me a kingdom, that you might eat and drink at my table in my kingdom. So kingdom, the full realization of God's kingdom is that we get to sit at the table with the King. What a grace for us. And so to return to Mephibosheth again for a moment, this story, um, in this story, Mephibosheth's legacy lives up to his name. Many scholars debate about the meaning of, uh, of the name Mephibosheth, uh, but many agree that it, 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 means the dis, it means dispeller of shame. I don't know about you, but I don't use the word dispelling or dispeller very often, but simply in in layman's terms, it means the undoing of shame. 
And so, here in this narrative of the Old Testament, we see, a, we see God's king who made the shame go away being, and then placing a cursed, broken man in a royal status and an ever-abiding presence of royalty with him. And so what did Mephibosheth do? Again, I tell you, I ask. What did he do to deserve this? Nothing, right? It's simply the covenant faithfulness of the king. Not on the merit of Mephibosheth. He did nothing. He was simply a recipient of this kindness and covenantal love of the king. All he did was fall on his face in humility and receive in amazement the love of the of the one who had shown it to him. Saying, yes, here I am, as yours. Actually, in, in verse 8, saying, who am I that you would show regard for a dead dog such as I? And so, this saying yes is our reception as well. To respond in humility and dependency and saying yes to this king. And so, if you're here this morning and you're lost, you're wayward, you feel far from God or any grace that could possibly be, that seems to be out of reach, know this, Jesus came to find you and bring you in. You can never exhaust His reach and His seeking for you. He came and He sought you out. And if you're broken, Jesus came to restore you to life in Him. And then if you're here and you're in shame, let me say firsthand that Jesus comes to put away sin and shame, to take it upon Himself, to put it to death and have victory over it, that we might have hope and peace when we believe and rest in Him. And so wherever you may be, this is His desire for you. He is seeking you now right where you sit. This invitation to come and to abide and stay with Him is yours. Seeking you right where you are, in the very place you are. In order that He might bring you into an unending, loving relationship with Him. The question is, will you say yes? As Mephibosheth, here I am as yours. And receive the kindness of this king. Receive the love of this king. And so I think a fitting ending to this um, would be a a quote by uh, a minister in South Africa in the 1800s by the name of Andrew Murray. Wrote a book on abiding in Christ and over 240 books over his lifetime. And he says this, Who would, after seeking the king's palace... Be content to stand in the door. When he is invited to dwell in the king's presence and share with him in all the glory of his royal life. Oh, let us enter and abide and enjoy to the full all the rich supply of wondrous love prepared for us. And then wonderfully he ends with this. He says, you do well to come. You do better to abide. And this is his offer for us as well, not just to come, but to come and to stay.
So as the worship team returns, um, will you pray with me? See, as Murray rightfully um, points us, this Jesus gives us two invitations. And it is first to come and then to stay. And so if you're here for the first time, perhaps, and you're hearing very clearly Jesus' offer to come, to turn from sin and shame and to find life in Him, know this. That Jesus says, for all who are weak and heavy laden, they would come to Him. They would find rest and peace for your souls. And so if you're here this morning and you've never received this good news from this King, would you receive it and just say yes and come? But then Christian, how prone we are to wander from Him and depart from this grace. How prone, like myself, we are to see this as a means to self-reliance, greater self-sufficiency, waiting for the proverbial uh, groove to finally, for us to find our groove. And yet what he means for us and where life is found is an abiding humility and dependency. And that's where abiding grace is found. So he beckons us to come and then to stay and abide. Give ourselves to be ruled, taught, led by this everlasting love. So you know, the thing about Mephibosheth is he was crippled in both of his feet. And so as great of an inheritance as was offered to him, he often likely had to be carried to receive it. And so I believe there's very much a, a picture of our own response in that truly coming and abiding in Jesus is simply relinquishing our control and allowing the Savior to take us up. And so wherever you may be tonight, this morning, would you receive, yield yourself fully that you might be taken up by this King. For your place at the table still awaits you in this place. God, I thank you that this is the good news of the gospel, that it is not a means to self-sufficiency, that it is not just a one-time thing, but it is an ever-abiding strength and grace and dependency that we can find as we yield ourselves to you. Thank you that you are the one who puts away our shame, who came to restore us to life, to give us an inheritance royalty. So God, I pray if there's one in here who does not know you and that good news, would they say yes to you wherever they may be. And for the one who may need to return to that, somehow has wandered from it in their own strength, they come again to stay. For it's good to come, but it's better to abide. So God, make us abound in thanksgiving as we're established in your grace that we may make much of you as the great King who has shown much love to us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.